So, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this. So i got to stop there, because some of us maybe weren't, weren't here for the lesson. What is the this? Well, it is the surpassing amazement and knowledge of Christ that Paul had just referred to back in verses 7 through 11. He, he says that that's what I want to know. And to have a righteousness, not of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. In other words, by trusting in Christ, rather than my own performance, that I would then have the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, no, in Paul's parlance, would be a word of intimacy. Now, in a strictly Greek-speaking sense, the word to know is quite informational. But in a, in a rabbi, now great evangelist, apostle of the church, the, the idea to know means the, the closest of all intimacies. We see it in the Old Testament in the King James Version where someone is to be married. Or, for example, when Adam and Eve uh, were, were consummating in their relationship, it says that, that Adam knew Eve. And it would be in, in that type of intimacy. So Paul is speaking of this idea that I want to have great and closeness with Christ. I want to even know his sufferings. I would like to even know him and his death. And therefore, because I know that would end up uh, in, in resurrection as well. So after having kind of spun this beautiful picture of intimacy with our Jesus, he then says, hey, it's not like I've gotten there yet, though. But, or that I've arrived at my goal. But, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is a master rhetorician. That means he's very good with words. He's able to weave together some of the most beautiful elements of Greek rhetoric as well as Hebrew rabbinical rhetoric. And this section of text is no exception in what he's doing here. And one of the things that, that he's doing is he's doing a play on words in more than a few places, even as we have it here. We kind of miss it a little bit in the English, but that's the way it goes. It's still a, a, one of our probably more moving passages that we have. But earlier... When he said about himself, hey, this is who I was before Christ, that I, you know, I was a circumcised in the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. And then in verse 6, right up above this, he says, as for zeal, right, as for just passion overflowing, this is who I was, persecuting the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This idea of as for my zeal, this is the depth of my zeal. I was all in, hair on fire. I was not going to let this get away from me because he viewed what the church was doing as so heretical. And it, no one was going to get away from him. That was the intensity that he had there. Now, the word for persecution and to persecute is the Greek word dioko. 
Now, when Paul now goes and says, this is, okay, now I'm in Christ. Now I've got this new mission and vision and, and purpose and love and affection. And with this, this is what I now do. He says, now I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I'll talk about that play on words in a minute. And I also press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That word, I press on, is the same word. It's that same word, dioko. That same fervor that I brought to run down everyone with such vengeance in my eyes, that has now been transformed into a desire for intimacy with Jesus. A desire to align myself a bit more with Him, more and more each day. But the idea as I go after it is just as intense as it was back when I was running down those that I thought were blasphemers in the law. As much fear as gripped the entire church because of my dioko, because of my pressing on, pressing on towards everyone that I thought was a a heretic in the Lord. Now, all of that energy is now channeled towards this beautiful mission. I just want to get closer to Jesus. What kind of a man and God must Jesus have been that all that fervor was directed not even towards, and it's not even as he says, and now I press on to let everybody know Jesus. Like that would kind of make sense, right? Like before I just, I brought, I ran everybody down because they were in Jesus. Now it would, it would make more sense if he said, and now I run everybody down to help them know Jesus. But he doesn't say that. Now I take that same energy, that, that, that same kind of you know, smoke coming out of my ears, the, the, the bull with the red matador. Red, what is it that gets me going? What is it that gets my blood boiling and excited that I'm not going to be stopped no matter what? It's not actually running other people down. It's just knowing Jesus better. I mean, what a beautiful idea that is, isn't it? That this is the great transcendent monopolizing idea of my everyday existence. If I could just be immersed all the more in the knowledge of Jesus, to be able to see Him more clearly, to be able to know of His suffering, to understand better His death for us, and then to even be astounded again and again by His resurrection and all that it promises. That resurrection that He speaks of so many times as bringing about not just the transaction of righteousness, for every one of you, as you sit here, but also it guarantees already the age to come Amen. and the recreation of all things by that resurrection. All of this is what Paul so dearly wants. And, and I love that he kind of makes it all about Jesus. He goes, you know what? Jesus took hold of me. And now he uses some words here. He uses the word obtained, which is lambano. And then he also uses the word uh, to, to take hold of. That's like a super intense fire. He goes, hey, I've not obtained all this. I've, I've not kind of lambanoed here. But kata lambano is what Jesus did to me. That, and, and, and what I now do is I now kind of take hold of that which Jesus took hold of me. Jesus disrupted his life. And he disrupted his life. And now what Paul wants to do more than anything else is to really honor the fact that Jesus took hold of him by his lapels, if lapels existed in the first century, shook sense 
into Paul, dropped the scales from his eyes. So vigorous was that shaken. It's kind of like shaken rabbi syndrome. And, and, and for him then to kind of have the wake-up call through what Jesus did so wonderfully and so vigorously that now all that he wants to do is reach back at Jesus. It's like, oh, he's taking hold of me. Oh, this is all I want. And it's as though now he's holding on to Jesus with all that he has and just wants to gaze. The theologians call it the beatific vision. That when all things are made new, the one thing that we're going to want to do, the Bible says, is just to look at the face of Christ. And and that's all that Paul wants to do now. I just want to immerse myself in, in this amazing, astonishing contemplation of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus who interrupted my life. Jesus who, who raised the uh, Jairus' daughter. Jesus who restored the woman bleeding for 12 years back to society and gave back her health. Jesus who, who took the widow of Nain who had no, nothing left and even her son has died and suddenly bring that back into, into uh, uh, perfection again for, for that family to be reunited yet again. Jesus who, who was, was asleep in the boat as a boat is being swamped only to get up and just with a wave of a hand still the, the sea and, and strike fear into the demoniac that was watching the whole thing go down. Only to land on the shore of the demoniac trying to intimidate him with all that he's worth to just stand there as the demoniac is crushed right before him. Uh, to be able to restore that man and to have that man, that demoniac, to beg, beg saying, please, Jesus, let me be with you. My goodness, that, that, that Jesus. And, and let me encourage you, if this is not... The Jesus that you want to take hold of, you need to start having the time that Paul has in your times with God of devotion so that Jesus comes into better and better view. He will not disappoint no matter what you study, no matter what you contemplate, no matter how you gain what the pages of Scripture have captured so wonderfully. And let me just stop here. If, if, if you are neglecting your time of devotion in the word of God after all that God has done for us and to capture and preserve this word of God. Oh my goodness. This is a, not only a shame but a waste. Right. That he has disrupted you, grabbed you by the lapels, only for you to be like, yeah, that, that, that's alright, but you know what? I'm, I'm trying to watch the debates. Would you mind moving over a little bit, Jesus, here? I, I, I got some other stuff that I, that, that really I, I need to really be about. In, in my life right now. Not Paul. Paul's like, yes. Oh my goodness. I, I have Jesus himself taking hold of me. Wow. I can hold on to him as well. That's uh, a, it's a hard one that we need to take a good look at. Uh, but you know what's interesting then? He also then, then says, there's just one thing. And that's the title of the lesson tonight. Just one thing. Brothers, sisters, hey, I, I've, I've not gotten there yet. He says it a couple different ways. Have I obtained it? No way. Have I arrived at my goal? Not by a long shot. But guess what? One thing. And he doesn't say, but one thing I do. There is no I do in the original language. He just says, but one thing. Here's the one thing. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. Pressing to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You guys ever see the movie City Slickers? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's got to be an old movie, right? I don't even know what year that might have been. 1991. Thank you. Billy Crystal, Jack Palance, riding down the range, waxing philosophic on their, on their horses. He, of course, is 
uh, a city slicker, uh, Billy Crystal is. Jack Palance is never a city slicker. But, but, but as they're walking down, they have a bit of dialogue between themselves. And, and Jack says to Mitch, which is the Billy Crystal car- character, Curly is the Jack character. Curly says to Mitch, because, you know, you guys spend 50 weeks a year tying your life into knots. You hope to come out here for two weeks and somehow get them all untied. You don't get it. And then he says, do you know what the secret of life is? And as he says that, he holds up his one finger. Do you know what the secret of what life is? And Billy Crystal says, your finger? <laughs> and he says, no, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that, and the rest doesn't mean what Paul said earlier. Doesn't mean garbage. Doesn't mean nothing. Doesn't, yeah, it, it is, is worthless. And then Mitch says, but what's the one thing? And then Curly smiles at him, and he says, that's what, and he with the finger says, that's what you have to figure out. Now, Mitch did have to figure that out, You don't. Why don't you? Because Christ has already taken hold of you. You've already been grasped by by Jesus. And that one thing is unmistakably right in front of us. It is our life in Christ. Think about some of the the, the beauties of Scripture. Where, for example, in in Psalm 27.4. There the psalmist writes, One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. And we sing a song along these lines. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's the reference to the beatific vision that I was mentioning earlier. This is the, if I could have one thing, this is what I want. If I could just gaze on the wonder of the Lord. That would be all in all for me. You know, we've got another New Testament story with Jesus right there. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, 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 the Lord answered. Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, and indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen it. She's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, astoundingly for us, there is one thing that is needed, and you've been chosen. You didn't even have to choose him. He chose you. He disrupted your life. He arranged time and place. He grabbed you by the lapels. He cut the lambanoed you and now has you in his grasp and now gives you the opportunity to finally align yourself with the great transcendent cosmic purposes that were always to be yours. And now, what do we do with it? This is our pivot point. This is our great moment of truth. Do we make Good things, that one thing, because good things, when they become ultimate things, that is a thing even more, uh, let's say, commanding 
of our attention and desires and appreciation than Jesus, when we make any good thing an ultimate thing rather than Christ, well then everything begins to unravel. The peace, the joy, rejoicing, astonishment, all that this letter has brought to the Philippian church. Remember again, a Philippian church that is persecuted, that is in famine, that is generous, but is in poverty. This church, despite all odds, is a church with overarching joy and community that really leaves us astonished. And what is it? I think Paul is helping them to stay focused on it. If you keep on the one thing, keep on Jesus, Jesus who has is, who is taken hold of you, that you take hold of him and have the same beautiful, breathless attitude as the psalmist, if I could just have this one thing to be in the house of the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, you might read this and think, yes, I need to do all this and I need to strain and I need to get forward so that I can make it to heaven. Right? There's a, there's a temptation to read this that way. But here, let me, let me read this part to you in, in a way that is written. Um, he says in verse 16, only let us live up. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 15 then says, all of us then who are mature, that is we've come closer to our intended destination, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, well, God will make that clear to you. Only, let's do this, let us live up to what we have already obtained. Now this is uh, attained. What this is actually a, a cool picture of here is he says that Yes, you are striving wonderfully and joyously towards an intended destination, towards a goal, towards a perfection, towards a completion, towards a teleos is, is the Greek idea there. You have an intended destination, both in who you become here and who you will be when, when Jesus Christ is revealed and comes again, when our lowly bodies are transformed into it like his glorious body. Three verses later, uh, it, it'll, it'll mention that. That, that yes, there is this destination, but, but guess what? All of this pressing on is not so that you can gain it, but because you've already arrived. Amen. Because this is this word right here, he says, only let us live up to, that's stoiko. And stoiko means let us march together. Nobody marches alone. There are no great processions with one person marching. This is a communal word, as every word in Philippians is communal. Let us in lockstep, one mind, one purpose, one heart, one, one mind, and all that we go about, let us march together because, and then th this word here, of what we've already obtained, uh, obtained, that word is the word of someone who has already arrived. So there is a, com a, a commending of you before a commanding of you. So let me, let me just, all right, let's slow down, because I, I can tell this is getting wild. 16 basically says, because you've already arrived, let's keep marching to where we were meant to be. In, in other words, you've already arrived. There is nothing about where you are right now that should cause you insecurity. 
As a matter of fact, you should march stridently, boldly, confidently, one with another. Why? Because you've already arrived. And having already arrived, that ought to energize you all the more because once having arrived, your eyes are, are flung open. You get that there's even more than what there is now. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to uh, rise up to it. You just now have to see it and, and be astounded by it. You just need to long for it, for, for this beatific vision. You just have to see Jesus all the more. And, and then as a result of having arrived, now you get it. Now you see it. Now this is what you are to do, Philippian Church, Hampton Roads Church. Now in lockstep, off you go into greater and greater pursuit of Christ. And as Paul does that, he wants to not only revel in the righteousness, he's already arrived. He has a righteousness, not of his own, that comes from the law, but that comes from trusting in Christ. So he's already arrived, he's got street cred. That's what righteousness means. He's got credibility, he's got a performance record that opens doors. So having had that, he then wants to do this. He wants to have deeper intimacy with Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to be like him in his death. I want to be in alignment with even the resurrection, somehow even attaining to that very thing. So having arrived to where we are, we now march stridently together, arm in arm, in community, towards greater Christ-likeness. We march to be more like Jesus in his life, in his suffering, in his death, and ultimately in his resurrection. And when that comes, my goodness, the, 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 the joyous celebration together will then be off the charts. Now, this is an amazing life when you have it on straight. This is an amazing life when you do the one thing. And you have been reborn in such a way that the Holy Spirit continually, continually really does urge you in, in the direction of that one thing. But it's easy, of course, as Paul even states again and again, to grieve that Holy Spirit. It's easy to want other things. Jesus says, hey, you're weary, burdened, heavy laden. You know, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for, for, for I am meek and, and um, humble. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm winging the quote there, right? So Matthew 11. Uh, and, but, but here's the thing is that when we want the one thing to walk with Christ and a yoke, you know, that's where you kind of uh, bridle up two animals together. If you're walking with Christ, well, then that's a walk in the park, right? If, 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 if I'm trying to pull a load and the person next to me is Shaquille O'Neal, uh, well, I'm like, hey, I got Shaquille O'Neal here. Uh, th th this load is pretty light. This burden is easy. A amen for that. But it's not Shaquille O'Neal. It's Jesus. And the, and the path that we walk is his path. And, and as we're in this amazing yoke with Jesus... Every step we take is in lockstep with Him, is in intimacy with Him, is in wonder with Him. And we realize, well, wow, how, how wonderful every single step of the way is. Now, yes, will there be suffering? Yes, but it'll be with Christ. Will there be persecution? Yes, but with Christ. Challenges? Yes. Ultimately death? Yes, but, but all of this with Christ. And, and it, I'm, I'm shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. And when we remain kind of, Christ has taken hold of us, so now we take hold of what it is that He's done for us. But when we start to look for other things, then it all becomes unraveled. Because as soon, in, 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 even if we're in this yoke with Christ, right? As we're, we're, if, if we want to go over there 
and we start to try to go over there, but yet we're in a yoke with Jesus, that's not comfortable anymore. The greater alignment with Christ, the easier the burden, the greater the joy, the less the work, the beautiful the rest, all those things that are promised by Jesus when we're intimate with Him. But even though He's done all of this for us, and now we want to go over there, well, the very act of trying to go over there makes Christianity, I've said this before, makes Christianity a pain in the neck. But what is it that might be trying to get you to go over there? Because it's so urgent, because it's so important, because it's family, because it's financial responsibility. You pick whatever it is. And and as wonderful as it sounds, if any of those things in in some way or another become the one thing, what is the one thing that will make you feel like I've arrived? Now I'm somebody. Now I have self-esteem. Finally, I can go back to my 25th or 5th high school reunion and feel like, all right, I'm here. If that thing is not Jesus, then you have another thing. Whatever that might be. And your one thing is not in alignment with what it is that Christ has taken hold of for you. So as we we go to uh, discuss tonight, what good thing in your life has become an ultimate thing? Or what has been the thing that would give you ultimate deliverance or ultimate status? When Jesus returns to his proper place, what will be the impact on your joy, your fellowship, your purpose? Let's go ahead and break to our groups.